Philemon 1 to 7. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Amen. Okay, well, we're actually, for those of you that sometimes come to 11.30 or download the 11.30, this is part two of Philemon. We did an introduction last week. If you want to catch up, you're welcome. But um, this is our second part in Philemon. Developing a fuller understanding or a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Just to tell you what's happening here, Philemon was a follower of Jesus and had a slave called Onesimus. And it looks like Onesimus stole from him and then ran off. And while Onesimus was on the run, he met Paul and he trusted Christ. And he became transformed from the inside out and became very helpful to Paul. And Paul and Philemon are good friends, they've got a history. But here comes a test of that friendship and of, Paul, of Philip Philemon's commitment to the Lord. Why? Because Paul wants Philemon to take Onesimus back after all he's done. And that means forgiving him, no longer treating him as a slave, giving him his freedom back and making him a brother. So in order to get Philemon to accept this, Paul uses what we might call an encouragement sandwich. When you want to sort of encourage somebody but also rebuke them, you mask it in uh, a few things. You have a first piece of bread, which starts off with good, positive things. That's your layer. And then in the filling is full of requests, challenges, or rebukes, or, or whatever you want them to do. And then you top it off with the last piece of bread. I'm hoping it's granary or wholemeal. I don't do white bleach bread. Um, and the last piece of bread, you finish off again with good positive things. So it's palatable. So we're just going to look at the first piece of bread today that Paul brings to the table. And the ingredients, right. The first piece of bread is recognize when you're coming to challenge somebody what they have in common or what you have in common, which is grace and peace. Verse 3. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so Paul is stating the basis on which he approaches Philemon. He reminds Philemon that they both stand in the grace of God and have peace from and with God through Jesus Christ. They've got that in common. Start off with things you've got in common. He's sort of saying, we're family and we've got one father, the same father, under God's grace and peace. Verse 1, Timothy, our brother, 
our dear friend Philemon, verse 2, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. In other words, we're all in the same boat, we're all in the same family, we're united and we're related through Jesus Christ. We have the same Father, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, mine and yours. In other words, the people that are writing to you, Paul and the crew, we have God's grace and peace, but so do you, Philemon, and I greet you with that. Peace with God comes from God's grace. And that is the basis, the bottom line, upon which all of us as believers stand. And grace, if you don't know what that is, it's undeserved kindness and love and favour that God pours out on us by not treating us as our sins deserved and not condemning us because of them, but acquitting us in his court by forgiving all our sins when we come through the cross of Christ. That's what grace is, getting what you don't deserve. Our standing as Christians with God is not about what you've done, but trusting in all that Christ has done for you. And that means that you and I never have any grounds to justify ourselves before God. For it is God who justifies you. He's the one that says, yes, he's covered. So Paul can never come from a position of holier than thou when he approaches another believer, as if somehow he's better than him. And before he challenges Philemon about anything, he reminds both of them that they are what they are and they owe what they owe to Christ. That's why there but for the grace of God go I is a very true statement. Because before we start pointing the finger, and we do, and before we start condemning others, and we do, remember that you owe anything that you have become to Christ. So you and I, and sometimes we do think this at least, when we're reacting to somebody else, we can't ever say, I'd never do that, and I'd never be what that person has become. Because you know only too well that your old sinful nature is a cesspool of all kinds of evil. And yes, it may lay dormant for quite a while, but in certain conditions, when the, when the time is right, so to speak, it can quite easily rise to the surface again. Spurgeon says this, if anyone thinks ill of you, don't be angry with them, that's a hard one, for you're worse than they think you to be. <laughs> Just put your hands up and say yes. You don't know the half of it. I saw a picture um, on Instagram today where tip of the ice goes poking out and it says this is what we think our sin is and then it showed underneath and this is what our sin really is and there's a massive great big thing underneath. Galatians 5 tells us, the acts of the sinful nature, nature that which comes from within us naturally in our old selves, are obvious. Because you can see them, they're obvious, because you can see them paraded in society and you can recognise some of them in your own thoughts. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So that's not the end of the list. Paul's about to ask Philemon not only to forgive Onesimus for stealing from him, 
for betraying his trust and then running off. But to demonstrate that forgiveness by having him back to no longer treat him as a slave, but now as a brother. In other words, he's challenging Philemon in a few moments to forgive like God forgives so that Philemon can take Onesimus back and look upon him as if he'd never ever done that against him. And that is a big ask and that is a big task for all of us. And the only way that's possible ever is to recognize your own understanding before the Lord, which is one of grace, which brought you peace and reconciliation. So then, and the reason why you're a recipient of that, partly, is then you can show that same grace to those who have offended and hurt and sinned against you. And none of this is easy. And that's also why... Paul wishes grace and peace from God to Philemon. Why? Because true forgiveness can only ever come from God's grace and strength. There's no way that uh, Philemon will ever be able to forgive like God forgives unless he does it by the grace, power and peace and strength of God. You can't do anything God asks you to do without God. So Paul's saying... The grace and peace that we all share, you're going to need it to do what I'm about to ask you to do. So that's the first bit of ingredients in the first piece of bread. <coughs> the second one is, as you're coming to somebody, point out the good fruit, if you can see any, in that other person. And Paul does exactly this to Philemon. He says, you're a faithful, loving follower of Jesus. Verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. That's other Christians. In other words, he's saying to Philemon, look, you bear recognizable fruit. Others can see it. I know because they've told me, I heard about it. And that makes me so thankful to God for you. But here's the point. Paul doesn't hear any of that from Philemon because self-praise is no recommendation. And when we blow our own trumpet, and nobody likes an arrogant, boastful person who says how wonderful a Christian they are. I mean, at the end of the day, as soon as you say that, you're not, are you? But he hears it from others but on the flip side and I want to speak to those who struggle with this maybe you're a Christian who thinks actually that you're useless that you never bear fruit nothing's changed at all you're just one big failure for Christ and maybe that's because of what's been done to you and what you've also done in the past and so you're naturally down on yourself anyway and have been for years and if that is you this morning, you can be your own worst critic. Yet others see what you can't see. And this is what is the blindness of self-loathing. And you'd be surprised how many people, even Christians, hate themselves. Have you ever heard, how can you love others if you don't love yourself? Well, you don't find that in the Bible, by the way, but I'm sure you've heard that. 
Yet many people don't like and would hate themselves, and yet they're the most loving, caring people you'll ever meet. Uh, they really are, including some Christians. And that's fruit you can't see, but others can. You know, some broken people are so caring towards others, yet they hate themselves. So that, that cannot be a true statement. You can still love others, even if you don't love yourself. But, if you always see yourself in a negative light, You'll never be able to see the wonderful things the Lord is doing in you and through you. And often he is and you just don't see it. But unlike the world, we as Christians don't try and boost our self-esteem by looking for the good in and of ourselves. I think we've tried that, done that, got the t-shirt and failed miserably. No, we don't do that. We don't even look at ourselves at all. We look to what God thinks of you and we find he loves you. God himself stepped down from his glory and became like you so he could die for you because he loved you with all your sins and flaws and faults and scars. So who am I and who are you to say you hate what Christ has decided he loves? He loves you as you are and not as you should be. Regardless of what you've done and had done to you, he laid down his life for you. What, because he hated you? (laughs) John says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. In other words, John is saying, get it into your heads, that's what you are. That's your identity. And you, Christian, were the joy set before him, which is why Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, comparing Scripture to Scripture, why do I say that that's the joy and not the victory that he had when he sat on the right hand of the throne of God? Well, that's partly it. But when you go to 1 Thessalonians 5.10... It gives you a reason why Christ died. He died for us so that whether we are awake, alive, or asleep, dead, we may live together with him. See, there's much truth in the phrase that Jesus would rather die than live forever without you. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says. So how can you hate yourself? He doesn't. See, what does that say to you? It says that whether anyone else loves you or not, or you think they love love you or not, he does as you are, and he'll always love you. So love what God loves. And love how God loves you. You see, none of this is about self-esteem at all. I've never been an advocate of that. It's about Christ-esteem. Looking away and then knowing we're loved. The esteem he brings us. We love ourselves because he loves us, Bible says, and that's it. It's all we need to know. And you live in the light of this, and you'll be released from so much that has currently held you back. You know, in my Christian life, for the first 20 years, I was held back by this, and then the theology made all its way into my little heart, And I was released. 
Because once you get this and make it a part of you, your spiritual biochemistry, and you live in the light of it, you are just utterly secure and different. And you don't lean on other people to tell you how wonderful you are. Because those same people will one day let you down. Then what? Your self-esteem goes down. Christ is never going to do that. Center yourself, center your center of gravity in Christ alone. So that when everything else is gone, which it will be on that day, you're still secure in Christ. And it's all of grace. And grace produces peace. I'll tell you something else as well. It makes you more bulletproof. You can take attacks better. You can take insults better. You can take people hurting you better when you are grounded in what Christ thinks of you. It doesn't ruin you. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. But you carry on. And let me say this too. It's not humble to be all forlorn and think that God doesn't love you or nobody loves you. It's God's will for you to increasingly know his love for you. Paul prays, prays this exact thing. And I wonder whether we should pray this more than all the shopping lists we bring to the Lord. We should pray this more for ourselves and others. Ephesians 3.17 And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's God's love for you, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, there's a friend of mine, and uh, her yearning for a partner is gone. You know why? Because she's so in love with Christ. She doesn't want any of that. She knows how much she loves. The Lord, your maker, is your husband. Come on, friends. Ooh. This is good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Paul encouraged Philemon in his encouragement sandwich by pointing out the fruit in his life. His faith in Christ and his love for others. Christian. Others may well see the fruit in your life that you just can't see. But it's there and it's evidence. And when you're about to challenge someone else, begin by pointing out the good fruit you see in them. And when you, you, and when you know just how much Christ loves you, you'll want others to know that kind of love is for them too. And then... Another part of the ingredients of this first piece of bread is, <coughs> excuse me, uh, to see that obedience reveals every good thing we have in Christ. Verse 6 I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of everything good. We have in Christ. Well, how is Philemon to be active in sharing his faith? In the context here, it's not about telling unbelievers about the good news of Christ. Not in the context. It's wanting Philemon to be active in sharing his faith, which was in his continuing to love, show Christ's love for all the saints, to also include Onesimus, the one who wronged him. 
And then he will reach a full understanding of every good thing. But we're going to come back to that. He tells Philemon just how much, Paul does, his love has benefited many, including himself. Verse 7. Your love, Philemon, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Tell someone when they've blessed you and when they've encouraged you and when they've refreshed you. Especially if you need to deliver an encouragement sandwich. Start with those good things in Christ that you've received from them, if they have. Then you and they will see more clearly those good things that they have in Christ. And this is very true, you see, because Christ is never properly understood unless you walk with him. You see, when you walk out his love in obedience to his word, in step with his spirit, you see more clearly all the good things you have in Christ in real time as you're doing it, especially what he's doing through and in you and through you to others. As you do them, as you walk them out, they become more apparent. (coughs) You see, as we walk we're being transformed into the likeness of the God human. And that is not just when you, were, uh, when you became a Christian that you walked away from what you once were, but we are perpetually walking away from what we once were, and sometimes that was dramatic, and others it's a slow burner, but as you follow in the power of the Spirit and you keep walking away and walking towards him and in his power, you are being more made more like Christ, fat. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us this. So you might not see it, but this is what's happening if you're doing this. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed right now into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what happens when you walk with the Lord. Remind people of that. Encourage them when they're walking with Christ. Because walking with Christ in real time brings, brings you to a better understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. And that's brilliant. That's why it's such a blessing to walk with him. You see more of him. You see more of him in yourself. And, and you see, you develop a fuller understanding of all the good things you have in him. thank you for the sympathy because nobody else shows me (laughs) here's another biggie in order to be active in verse 6 in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ and this was the Paul's point that he's coming up to. You have to show his love to one who's hurt. And thank you. (laughs) Right, let's start again. In 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 order to be, which says in verse six, active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. 
you have to show his love to one who's hurt you, who's wound you up, who's stolen from you, who's betrayed you, abandoned you, wronged you in any way. Because verse 8 says, Therefore, after I'm talking about this, I appeal to you, verse 9, on the basis of love, verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in change. We'll get into that later next week. But How will forgiving someone who's wronged me get a fuller understanding of every good thing I have in Christ? Because that's exactly what Christ did. It's easy, isn't it, to show love to those who love you or like you. It's dead easy. Why wouldn't you? But if you want a fuller understanding of every good thing in Christ, you and I have to learn to show love to the unlovely and especially those who've wronged you in any way. Do that and you'll get a greater understanding of the depth of the love of Christ for you and others. A deeper understanding of his total forgiveness for those who wrong him. And lastly, a full understanding of how he's changed and changing you and growing you. Why? Because you've wronged him too. You're no better. What does this fuller, lived-out understanding of the good we have in Christ do? It causes us straight away to want to praise him when we see it and to love him and others so much more. And maybe Philemon is thinking, well, of course, Lord, um, of course, Paul. I'm happy to forgive, but not Onesimus. Anyone but him. I'll forgive. Of course, I say, <laughs> we're always going to say we don't want to forgive the one that's hurt us, don't we? Or we'll find someone who hurt us less and we'll forgive them. <laughs> yeah, I'll forgive anyone, anything, but I'm not going to forgive him. After what he's done to me, I, I did love him. I did treat him well, but now he's dead to me. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Dead to me. Anything else, Lord, but don't ask me to do that. I'm not doing it. Have you ever thought that? Well, then that's usually the very thing the Lord wants you to sort out, pronto. Back in Birmingham, uh, oh, 25 years ago, way before I came here, I was training in ministry in my first year, and there was a key player in splitting the church there. We grew from 30 to 60 in a year and then back down to 30, thanks to him. But uh, I was in first year of my training with this experienced pastor who was American. And while I went on holidays, he resigned and went back to the US shortly afterwards. And I was hopping mad. I was furious. He'd become a close friend. He was very experienced. And he'd been treated incredibly badly. And there was me left all alone, inexperienced, baptism of fire with all the troublemakers, some on the leadership. So I said I was off. I told him what I thought. I was off. I'd had enough. Forget it. There's no way I'm staying there. <coughs> and the Lord said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. I'll, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> to put, put me in a church where there's only me and five other people, but I'm not staying there. You are. And you'll go, you'll go right up to the main player, you'll look him in the eye, you'll shake his hand and tell him, and, and forgive him at least in your heart. Well, well, he won't ask for forgiveness. No, no, he won't, but you'll forgive him in your heart. So it took me three weeks. You know what the Lord's like. He 
starts off gently and then puts you in a stranglehold in the end. And after three weeks I thought, okay, okay, if I must. And I did it. My heart wasn't in it, but I prayed about it, I knew it was right. As soon as I did it, all my fury, all my Tyson fury, left and peace came in. Very strange. And the punishments that I had rehearsed in my head <laughs> and what I wanted to do to him just disappeared and were replaced by grace and peace and love for him. And at that time, that was one of the biggest, greatest growth curves I've ever had. And that day, I was broken with the love of Christ for him and for me. And that by his spirit, I could show that same love to the wrongdoer. I, you know, I, I just couldn't uh, imagine it. And I, I thought, anyway, even if I'd obeyed it reluctantly, I wouldn't feel any different. But I did. It just went. So did he a few months later. <laughs> but that's not up to me, is it? You just leave that with the Lord. It was a bonus. <laughs> Remember Jesus saying to Judas, Judas said to the soldiers he'd point him out in Gethsemane in the garden, point out Jesus by betraying him with a kiss. And Jesus says, friend, why have you come? I see that's the grace of God. He gives that betrayer a chance even then. He had forgiveness ready in his heart. You know, I never thought I'd be capable of such a thing as that. And you know what? I wasn't. <laughs> but Christ through me can do anything. And the same with you. You see, sometimes we just need to get out of the way and obey by the power of the Spirit and just watch Him do the impossible. And that in Philemon is what it means, verse 6, to be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Because that is a good thing. How? By loving someone you find too hard to love. By forgiving someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Because isn't that what Christ did for you? Let me finish by saying this. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's not enough to talk love. It's not enough to talk forgiveness. It must be demonstrated, otherwise it doesn't count. It's never truly understood or appreciated until it's actually done. James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Not forgetting what was heard, but doing it. Then you will be blessed in what you do. Amen. Let's just come to the Lord in prayer.
Father, this is a hard topic, and for some of us, we've been desperately hurt and uh, in an appalling way over a, a long period of time. That can be from as we were growing up. That can be uh, in, in partnerships and marriages. That can be uh, through other people in family or other friends. And we, we've all been hurt to some degree, but we've also hurt. We've also given out stuff. Um, but Lord, this isn't easy, and it can only be done by your Spirit. And it, it might have to be done in stages as well for some. And it's not that the other person may ever say that they're sorry. It's not about that. It's, as far as it depends on us, Bible says, live at peace with everyone. Um, we can have forgiveness ready in our hearts and no ill will. That's what it means, to just let it go and have no ill will and not think destructively about that person again. Um, but Lord, help us to do this because it does need to be demonstrated in the way we are with people. Help us not to avoid people, unless there are legit reasons other than that, uh, to avoid people because they've hurt us, but help us to treat them as if they never did. Uh, Lord, this is what you do with us all the time, and somehow we think we're bigger and better and we shouldn't do it. Well, we should. So help us, Lord, but we can't do it on our own. We really can't. And sometimes it's a process. And some, we don't remember sins no more. We remember sins <laughs> that are sinned against us. And Lord, uh, but when we do, Lord, give us the power to cast them from our mind early doors so that we don't rehash them and then feel that unforgiveness building up again because it can go on and on and on. Release us, Lord, but give us the tools. Lord, we pray to crucify thoughts of revenge, rehearsing what we want to do to them, say to them, whatever. Just let it go and forgive, as you have for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.